Welcome to the IEEE Digital Reality Podcast, an IEEE Future Directions Digital Studio production. In this podcast, we caught up with Nicholas Knapp, co-founder of Xmark Labs LCC at the IEEE Technology Time Machine Symposium. Nick was a panelist for the Mixed Reality Focus Panel held on November 1st at the Hilton San Diego Resort and Spa. An industry veteran who has worked with VR and AR systems since the early 1990s, Nick provides unique insights on emerging XR use cases, their benefits, and explores potential issues related to wider adoption of virtual, augmented, and mixed reality technologies, both by enterprises and individuals. My name is Nicholas Knapp. I'm a co-founder of a small company called Xmark Labs. Um, we do a lot of consulting with enterprises about how to use technologies like virtual reality um, and also some blockchain projects. Um, the real potential, I think, if you step back, is to just look at the amount of data that we are creating as individuals and as a species. You know, when I was a kid, we um, the big decision was whether we were going to buy a 16K memory pack, right? And that fairly quickly evolved into worrying about megabytes and then gigabytes um, and then terabytes. And, and not so long ago, it seemed petabyte was the new thing. And if you look at the overall amount of data being uh, created now, we're into the zettabyte territory. And humans are fundamentally visual creatures. You know, we process a lot through our senses, especially through our, our, our visual senses. And that's really where I see technologies like augmented and virtual reality and mixed reality coming in is to bridge that uh, gap between all the data we're creating and our ability to understand it. So fundamentally, I think they're technologies that help us consume the vast quantities of data that we're surrounded by. As with any technology, I think there are, there are a lot of pros and cons, and, and many of the, the cons haven't become clear yet. So there's already some concern about the, the, the current generation and whether they have fine motor skills um, because they're using touch screens so much instead of uh, physically playing with toys. And there is some early research that's raised some red flags around if you're spending too much time in VR, um, does that impact you? you know, we, we heard this morning actually about plasticity and, and how your environment changes the way that you uh, physically and physiologically are as a human. Uh, and I think there is some potential for VR and AR to, um, uh, to, to feed into that. On the positive side, you know, fundamentally with, with uh, VR, say, for example, virtual reality, you can literally go anywhere and experience anything. And I think one of the most positive aspects, although it's perhaps not the most commercial, is the potential to generate empathy. Um, you know, the ability to travel and immerse yourself in cultures and places that either are no longer accessible or not accessible for you. Um, there's a fantastic company out of Boston um, that uh, is doing basically VR trips for seniors that are homebound and potentially um, struggling with things like dementia and Alzheimer's and they are able to take them to places that they've always wanted to go to um, at a very low cost, which is, which is fantastic. Um, at the other end of the spectrum, you've got areas like uh, skills training. You know, there's a, a, a massive shortage of skilled workers in areas like manufacturing. I think the average age of a, of a manufacturing worker in the US is late 40s, which means a significant percentage are about to retire. 
and the tools they have for training new employees as they come in are proving to be pretty inadequate. Trainings are very commonly cited as a, a top three problem by most manufacturers. Um, and VR and, and AR also are, are, can be phenomenal for that. Um, there are some technical challenges to overcome, especially for AR, but I think the future of delivering experiences that are not the experiences you've already had, I think that's really at the heart of, uh, of all three, AR, VR, and MR. You know, generally when I'm thinking about virtual reality and augmented reality and mixed reality, I think of them really as a spectrum of technologies, not discrete separate things. They're a broad bucket of tools that you can use um, to, to visually deliver um, uh, an experience. And so, you know, when you, when you sort of drill down and say, okay, well, what about VR specifically? You know, now we are two years in, almost three years into the current consumer cycle. Um, the Generation 1 devices like the HTC Vive and the Oculus Rift and, and uh, the PlayStation VR were all pretty decent. They were immersive, they, you know, they delivered good tracking, um, but they are cumbersome. You know, when I, when I bought uh, a Vive when it first came out, that and the PC to run it cost almost $3,000. That's not a casual expense for anybody, um, even if you've got a business justification. You know, now, we have uh, tools like the Oculus Go for 200 bucks, the Oculus Quest, uh, which is coming out for, I think, 400, um, and Windows Mixed Reality. And all of those address some of the issues of the Gen, uh, Gen 1 devices. They're either simpler to set up, they're self-contained, they're cheaper. Um, so now, you know, from $3,000 a couple of years ago, you can have a very good VR experience for about $400, $500. So, you know, those are all important drivers in the background. When you then look at AR, the picture's a lot less clear. There's really no front-runner device for, for the average um, uh, person trying to use AR, um, except possibly their smartphone, and that's not a great AR experience. Um, so AR's lagging pretty considerably, but, but overall, um, I'm personally a lot more interested in the, uh, the business applications. You know, they're, they're, as I mentioned before, there's a, a broad range of training activities that lend themselves very well to VR and AR. Um, VR is also really good for planning. Um, you know, we had a client the other year that does a lot of work in construction. And the way that we sort of simplified uh, the use cases when we talked, talked it through with them was VR is sort of your back office uh, before you go to the work site, uh, your preparatory tool, whereas AR is more something you would deploy in the field while you're working. And you know, there's been a lot of talk for, well, for two decades now about being able to do a uh, repair function and call up a manual while you're in the field. And we're not really quite there yet for a broad range of users. Um, but, uh, for example, Tyson Krupp, the elevator company, did a pilot with Microsoft and using the HoloLens, and the help ticket arrives, the, uh, the, the engineer sees a model of the elevator before they even leave the office with um, some idea of which part they're going to be looking at. Um, apparently, traditionally, they would be hanging in the elevator shaft with a laptop in one hand and a tool in the other, which doesn't sound great. Um, so, you know, instead now they've got this head-mounted display, and in the, in the demo that they show, they're able to do a live camera uh, Skype connection 
um, to an off-site expert to validate the work that they've just done repairing the board. And I, I forget the exact numbers, but Tyson Krupp were basically saying they had taken an average service call from three plus hours spread over one to two days uh, with multiple people down to a single call of about half an hour. And that's a huge savings, right? That's a huge ROI for the company. So we're still exploring a lot. Um, like any new technology, it's kind of being thrown at every problem and it's not ideally suited to it. Um, I'm aware of uh, medical groups that are doing really interesting simulation work. Um, not necessarily surgery, that's, you know, that's been talked about a lot, but uh, there was a group I was talking to a couple of weeks ago that are simulating ambulances. And so, you know, for a paramedic that hasn't been out in the field before, they can get a sense of what it's like to be in an ambulance that is moving physically, right? And where everything's stored, how it's stored, basic procedures. Um, we're working with a manufacturer right now that has a lot of um, precision assembly line work. And it turns out the, the difficulty for them isn't even in so much using individual tools and machines, because the machines are largely automated. You press the button and it does the laser welding or, or whatever. But what is critically important for them is the timing of the task, because the employee has to get into a rhythm where they pick up the part, they load it into the jig, the jig gets cleaned, it gets placed in the machine. Um, you know, they press the button, the machine's doing whatever it is it's supposed to do, but they're busy prepping the next part. And if the timing's not right, the whole process just falls apart. So for them, being able to introduce someone slowly and get them up to speed on the timing has proved uh, you know, potentially very useful. I'm a firm believer that within a period of time, and I would say maybe five years-ish, um, your smartphone is gonna be transformed into an AR device. You know, right now, the only reason that looks like a phone is because it used to be a phone, and predominantly it's a computing device. And it is, if you've used a good head-mounted display, it's very easy to see how that is an interaction mode that makes far more sense. So, I definitely see that evolution. I think we're going to have some baby steps on the way. Um, I think uh, the, the new smart glasses from North are quite interesting. Um, these are still too expensive, they're a thousand dollars and they have to be custom fitted, but it's basically taking the functionality of a smartwatch and putting it into a relatively normal looking glasses uh, form factor. So you have a wearable device on your face that is conveying useful information. Um, so it's technically AR, it's not glamorous AR, but I think it's functional. And I think you'll start to see devices like that. Uh, Bose have their audio AR product as well, uh, which just uses sound instead of vision. I think that's a really interesting idea because again, you can make the electronics a lot smaller. Um, so you're not wearing this giant thing on your head. Um, you know, I think we'll see probably an acceleration of deployments in the business space more than the consumer space. Um, but I expect eventually that will trickle back to consumer. I've had the pleasure of speaking at a few IEEE events uh, this year, including ComSec in, in Tokyo and some events at CES earlier in the year. And you know, it's always interesting to see what questions we get. What I think is interesting about the uh, technology time machine is the diversity of topics that have been covered. There was a significant amount of time yesterday spent on a discussion of ethics. Um, which is a very real problem because, uh, well, not having the discussion is a problem, so it's good to have the discussion, just to be clear. Um, 
but as we as humans get the ability to augment ourselves more you know if you're augmented in any shape or form your ability to get ahead is incrementally improved and so the gap between those that are getting ahead and those aren't is clearly going to get significantly wider and if we don't figure out a way to address that it's going to be a huge societal problem um, and, and that was touched on in a few different panels yesterday and I, and I think it's a you know it's, a, it's something that has to be discussed I mean you already can see you know, enormous disparity between people that have access to broadband and access to small smartphones versus people that don't, right? There, there's a huge gap in, in education and skills and exposure to new ideas and so on. Um, so, you know, I think that's a, a really interesting uh, and important thread to pull on. Um, I thought Dr. Crumb's talk uh, from, from Dolby Labs, uh, that was fascinating. Um, you know, the idea that you as a, as a biological entity are giving off signals that can be read um, and responded to by machines that you have no control over. So, oh, this consumer is engaged, this consumer is scared. Um, we need to think about that, right? Because you have no way to mask those signals. Your body's gonna do what it's gonna do. Um, and there are positive um, aspects to uh, an environment being able to customize itself to you, but there's a lot of negatives too. And how we control that data in a meaningful way as individuals is a conversation we have to start having. Thank you for listening to our podcast with Nicholas Knapp. Discover more about the IEEE Digital Reality Initiative by visiting our web portal at digitalreality.ieee.org. Dot org.